Welcome to the Parent Guide to GCSE podcast. Today's guest is Jenny Eastwood from The Parent Team. She'll be talking about issues of stress and anxiety around test taking and also encouraging greater motivation and confidence in your teenagers. This was originally broadcast as a live Facebook event. Evening, everybody. Uh, So we're here this evening to talk kind of test anxiety and stress and motivating your child and things around that sort of genre. And with us, we have Jenny from the parent team. So, Jenny, hi. Hi. Evening. So do you want to do a quick sort of who you are and what you do for us? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a mother of four children and they're aged 16 to 11, three girls and a boy. And my oldest girl is GCSE year this year. Um, I My background is psychology with a special interest in child development. And uh, I did have a brief period in between after doing that when I was a banker and I lived in Asia for quite a long time. And then I came home and had four young children and I decided to go back to my psychology roots and train to be a parent facilitator. So that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years. I run courses, workshops, go into corporates and schools and private sessions. And what I do is help parents get the best out of family life, make life more enjoyable, hopefully have their children feeling better, more cooperative, more enthusiastic. And um, I do that for uh, my own company. I started that with three other colleagues and it's called The Parent Team because we really think that parenting should be a big team effort. So that's me. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So the important bit I got from that there was you have three pretty much teenage-ish girls at home right now. How many bathrooms do you have? Does anyone else get a look in? We only have one and we're struggling. <laughs> yeah, we 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 only have two and they only like mine and my husband's. So um, there's no privacy. So let's just say that everybody's relaxed about seeing everybody else's body in our house. <laughs> so, um, oh, goodness me. That's but so... it's not too bad, actually. They're quite sporty, outdoorsy girls. So there's, there's you know, there's not too much kind of makeup and hair going on. It's, uh, it's more just fighting for the shower. So. Oh, goodness. Yes, we're, um, yeah, I... I I feel for you. I do. <laughs> now, you say you've got a 16-year-old, so doing GCSEs. Well, doing GCSEs, is that a phrase this year? Surviving GCSEs. Getting a certificate at the end of the year somehow. Um, with the younger ones, do you think there's going to be a sibling rivalry in terms of exam results? And is that something that you see as there's a, a pressure amongst families for that kind of, I must beat my elder brother, sister? Or, or is, I'll never hear the end of yeah. it. Um. It's a really good question. I think it depends on the dynamics in a family. So, and some of it is luck of temperament of your children. You know, do you have children that are really intense and persistent? So they're innately competitive. Um, That makes a difference. Um, But also what you say as a parent. So if you make it sound like it's a super big deal, you must get the best results. Oh, um, you know, if I, my oldest daughter is called Ella, and if I said to Honor, who's 15, Honor, I hope you're going to get the same results as Ella, of course, that would make everything more competitive. But I think as a, if you're in a household where you make it less about the actual outcome and more about the effort they made and their own strengths and their own strategies, um, I think that that takes it, takes the pressure off a little bit. And it's about, you know, celebrating what each, child's unique strengths are as opposed to kind of pitting them against each other so and 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 i you know we get i get asked this question in this context all the time and i always say it's really easy for parents to try and use comparisons to motivate but comparisons don't really motivate they just make siblings not like each other very much Mm. so i would say you know, if you're going to do anything, you know, if you want to get your child up up to the up to bed quickly, instead of getting your children to chase and that there's a winner, you know, have them um, have them chase you, the parent, so you you don't create um, sibling rivalry. Mm. So I think what we say and do can have quite a big impact on that. Mm. So. 
I think, I mean, part of what the reason I asked that was because the certainly a driving test scenario <clears throat> where one pearl, the first one to pass, passed first time, the pressure on his brother, bless him, twin brother, as twin well, brother, so um, was horrendous. And obviously, the one who passed was busy giving it plenty. Um, with the GCSEs, they were within uh, one grade of each other across all of the subjects. And we still haven't heard the end of it, yeah. despite the fact that they're now at uni. So, but wow. also the gloaty one. Uh, was the one who missed out by one grade so that's but when it came to a levels there was the, the pressure was not from us mm -hmm. it was from each uh, from you know between them saying i need to sort of basically beat my brother that was yeah. obviously trying to discourage yeah yes it's um i i think <clears throat> we've, we've never done the you know pitting them against each other or in any however supportive kind of fashion but i think they they've picked up on the competitive <laughs> atmosphere from one of their parents, possibly. Now, for those <laughs> listening to the podcast, <laughs> that's just an outrageous accusation because I've been stared at and I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. I, I think there will always be a little bit of innate competition. Um, and uh, uh, actually, my oldest daughter is quite uh, academic. And I say that really carefully because in our household, we talk about many important qualities, you know, and you can be very academic, but if you don't have good social skills, if you're not prepared to work hard, if you aren't creative, you know, you might get grades, but it, you, you don't really necessarily have the best skill base for life. Um, but obviously, I think when you're this age, schools make a big fuss of academics, parents worry about academics and it makes children think that they are by far the most important thing so again in our house we we really talk a lot about all the other um important attributes you need to have a successful fulfilling happy life um but um uh, you i'm sure you know as teachers but the the brain doesn't finish its first major development until the age of 24 so um, the prefrontal cortex, this bit, you know, which is logic and reason and delayed gratification and executive functions, you know, organization, um, planning, um, that's still got, even with your 18 year olds, that's got a good six, maybe eight years to go. So, so much. Well, it's, it's one of the first things that I talked about in, in my book is um, it's like this is the, the designated driver. And so while it's still developing, basically, it's your drunk friends loose in Vegas without any supervision going on in the rest of your brain. And it's uh, that's why there's no cure for being a teenager. And I think and I think, um, you know, as a parent, it's really helpful to know what is normal mm. teenage behavior, because. You, you know, I think lots of parents think my teenager's out to get me and they're, they're not. Their job is to start to separate and to, to be able to separate from you. They need to think you're a bit rubbish and you're too controlling and your music sucks and those clothes look terrible because otherwise they'd be with you forever. So um, and the fact teenagers can't read facial expression very well. So you kind of go into their room and say, uh, do you have any washing and next thing you know something's being thrown at your head because they've read your face as being angry when it when it wasn't at all and understanding how if they're going to separate from you their peers have to be so important and if their peers you know dress a certain way listen to certain music want to do certain things they're, they're desperate to be part of it and so I always think that the best thing you can be with a teenager is as calm and neutral and non-judgmental as you can be. And again, if you know what, what is normal teenage behavior, you just can kind of go, oops, there's the eye roll. Oops, there's the door slam. Oops, when she said she hates me and she's wished I was never her mother, she means she's just having a bad day. You know, and as long as, as a parent, I can stay calm so I don't inflame the situation, then you know that eventually you'll you'll make it through that brain grow. Yes, we've recently discovered Parent Ping, which is an app that you can download and take part in. They're doing a fabulous job. Uh, so if you've not heard about it and you're listening, it, basically you get three questions each day and um, it's always multiple choice, um, stuff to do with school or with home or whatever. But it's just 
a general poll of parents. And then you come back the following day and you can see everyone's answers. So you can see the percentages and you can see that your answers are pretty much always normal <laughs> and everyone's going through the same stuff. And whilst we don't all have the exact same experience, it's it's nice to have that little bit of reassurance that actually it's not just me. <laughs> but how much fun must it be making those questions up about oh, when yes. was the last time the door was slammed on you or had <laughs> questions thrown at you or yes. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, I highly recommend that for the record. And um, if you're listening to this on the podcast, then this is of no use to you. But if you're watching this on the live on Facebook, do feel free to chime in with questions. If you've got anything around test taking or anxiety or helping motivate your child, Stress. jump on in. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> I think we, we've what we wanted to talk about was possibly labels. Mm -hmm. So. There are labels that school will attach to children. There are labels that as parents, we sometimes attach to children. We have lots of labels we attach to ourselves and we tell ourselves we're impatient or we're, I don't know, whatever. Stubborn. Stubborn, possibly, yes. Bloating. Um, overly competitive. <laughs> but um, in terms of our children, what's your advice on labels particularly when it comes to as as we've already slightly touched on academic and and so on and the impact that that can then have on how children feel about test taking and school in general yeah um that's a really good question so one of the reasons i did psychology at a university was that my temperament is very uh, intense and persistent. I mean, now I've, I'm past 24, you can probably guess. So my brain has balanced a lot better and uh, I've done a lot of work on it. But, you know, when I was a kid, I absolutely stubborn was applied to me. Stubborn, miss answer back, cut off your nose to spite your face. And um, emotions are incredibly powerful, <coughs> strong emotions are much more powerful even as an adult actually than your prefrontal cortex so as a child you can say i won't feel this way i won't get angry i won't get upset but you can't really control emotions very well particularly when you're young and and having a negative label attached to something that you can't control very well can be really really difficult and damaging so um my advice is stay away from negative labels negative labels you when parent parents normally want the best for their children and we often use some techniques we use some criticism or some nagging or we use some threats or we use some comparison or we use a negative label and we do it from the best of intentions we do it because we think it's going to motivate our children but I always ask all of my clients who do my courses and I say, you've had a busy day and um, your partner comes in and the first thing they do is complain about dinner and say it wasn't good enough and they didn't like it and you need to try better tomorrow. And I say, do you as an adult, if your partner says that to you, do you think, oh, I must try harder to make a nicer dinner tomorrow? <laughs> what do you think? Hmm. Or do you throw it You know. <laughs> So when, when you do a kind of, when you do an exercise, when you think about it at an adult level, there's, there's, you know from your own experience, and there's lots of research that shows that negative um, um, techniques, um, which we think are motivating, and we, you'd call that extrinsic motivation, of, uh, don't work. They don't make anybody feel good. They make you think, I'm useless. I can never do it good well enough. I'll never be as good as my brother. I am stubborn. And it doesn't get you anywhere. So. Because we ourselves as parents feel anxious. You think, oh my gosh, look at my child. Look at how they're behaving. Look at how they're doing in the schoolwork. Oh my gosh, what if they don't get the exam results? So we go into our emotional part of our brain, uh, which is called the limbic system. Um, and we release adrenaline and cortisol in our system. And that then 
causes us to say quite catastrophic things. You'll never amount to anything. If you don't pull your socks up, how are you ever getting a job? Or we say, if you don't put your phone down, you are grounded for three months. <laughs> and, and all of this just takes up the emotional temperature in the house. And then your child doesn't feel good. You don't feel good. And your relationship is really stretched. So what I always recommend to parents is look for the good. Look for the good. So, okay, maybe everything's not going as well as you might like in that perfect fairy tale world um, where your kids do nothing apart from want to do revision. Um, and household chores. And household chores. Yeah. And household chores. And picking up <laughs> which none of my children have quite mastered. Um, so, so, you know, if your child gets their books out, praise them if your child sits down for just half an hour praise them and really stay away from um a lay even a positive label so never call your child clever brilliant amazing talented because that gives rise to something called a bit of a fixed mindset um always praise any effort any positive attitude any good strategy, like getting all your gear out before you sit down to start, any focus, and never make it about the results. So um, I had this funny story. So my daughter was at school and she was doing some Greek tests and she sent me a text and she said, um, oh, I uh, got top in my class for Greek. So I, I, I thought, okay, so I sent a text back and I said, um, you, uh, you must have you must have done really good revision to get that result. And she said, didn't do any revision. So, oh, okay. So I said, that showed me you must have concentrated in your lessons with your teacher. You know, I just stay away from any kind of clever, amazing, brilliant. And we always talk about the, 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 or you can only ever put in your best effort you can only ever try the best you can do and you only ever improve in little steps. So you'll never go from being not great to being brilliant in one big step. Mm -hmm. It's got to be a series of little steps that feel manageable. So, so, um, and I always encourage my clients, look for those little steps, you know, just one little step at a time. Oh, look, you, you've got out of bed. And it's, you know, it's still the morning. And actually, you've got your books. And actually, you've sat down and you've opened your books and, and really look to praise each little step. Even when inside your limbic system is going, oh, it should be six hours of work. And, you know, but if you concentrating on the negative will, will give your eyes to a very negative cycle and concentrating on anything positive will give rise to an improving positive cycle. Um, now, every trait, pretty much the research shows that almost every uh, personality trait is about 50% genetic. So whatever you find challenging in your children, it's probably coming from you, your partner, granny, uncle, you know. So so um, uh, in my house, everything good came from my husband and every everything challenging comes from my side, uh, you know. Um, but so so given that, given that I was telling you I, I'm uh, persistent and intense one of my children is is very similar um and um in our house we we don't use the word stubborn we always say she's persistent and sometimes her sisters and brothers say i mean stubborn she's stubborn but mommy's <laughs> persistent but we were playing one of these family games you know you, sometimes you get these cards and you you do it around the dinner table and each card says you know what's your favorite hobby what's your favorite memory and my daughter got the card that said we, what's one character trait you're really proud of and she said i'm really proud that i'm persistent and i would never have said when i was a child i'm really proud i'm stubborn mm. but actually, yeah. they're kind of the same so I just say to parents, if you look, you can find something good in your children. That it's always there. It's just our brains are kind of designed to pick out the bits that we find challenging or I don't know that, you know, we worry about and we tend to focus on those. But the, 
you know, what you focus on grows. So if you focus on the fact they're creative or you focus on the fact they're persistent or um, that grows and, and it becomes something that they're proud of. So so that that's a kind of long answer about labels. Be really careful of them. So um, I liked that a lot. And if you're listening and you're finding this useful and you want to know more about the whole fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, you want Carol Dweck's book, Mindset. She is the uh, inventor, creator. Creator, yeah. I don't know. She is, she is, no, you can't use the word genius. That's a label. Honestly, I got to hear her speak about it once and it just makes so much sense. And she's been working on it for years and years and years. Yeah. So growth mindset, the more you work at it, the better you get. And I would recommend, actually, there's a um, if you go onto YouTube and look up her RSA animated um, clip, she's got a lovely clip, um, which is about 10 minutes long, and it's perfect to show your children because it really explains mindset. And, um, you know, sometimes occasionally uh, you know occasionally my children do a bit of music practice and I remember one of them saying I don't want to I'm bored I don't want to do any more music practice and I said growth or fixed mindset and she'd watched the Carol Dweck video and she said fixed mindset a growth mindset <laughs> okay and she you know picked up her instrument and did another technical practice so so again talking about mm. and, and I think as an adult not always talking about all the work you put into things and mm. you, you know and um the effort it takes and just the little steps of things working out it's it's really yeah. good modeling for your children yeah definitely i mean i uh, uh, sorry i keep interrupting our motto is knowledge beats nagging it's the, the more you know the the better you can do things and none of us are perfect to begin with we're all learning as we go along and and uh, uh, Vicky's commented that she's learning so much and there'll be a new her from tonight. <laughs> but also be kind to yourself because we're going to talk about a few things tonight and you might only be able to put in one or two of the suggestions, but what if any of them feel comfortable, give them a go. And it's interesting with teenagers because when, when I say um, look for the good, um, look for what your child's improving, look for effort, attitude, focus, strategy, um, be very specific because often what parents uh, what parents do is they say well done that's amazing great job um then out comes the you're so clever and also what we say a lot of is i'm so proud of you and um that 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 praise is called evaluative praise it's kind of a fluff and your children often don't bear much store by it um so we say really be very descriptive. So literally say, you know, you sat at the you sat at the table and you've got three of your books out and you've opened them and you've got a pen at the table, and um, or um, that was a really I'm really impressed that you've written a list of all the subjects you plan to revise this weekend. So um, or I know you were really enjoying that film last night, but you stopped at halfway so you could go to bed on time. That was a smart thing to do. So can you see it's it's almost not praise. It's almost a descriptive commentary. And um, young children, you know, you, you use this praise and they just puff up. And sometimes with teenagers, you know, it's a little bit uncool. So, you know, they can kind of you don't get necessarily the immediate puff up, but they love it just as much. And sometimes they like it if you do it, send them a little text write a little note that you put on their pillow. And, um, you know, when you make the effort to give this descriptive praise, they they basically get a hit of the, the neurotransmitter dopamine. And dopamine is your, your reward chemical. And um, dopamine is, is a, it's released in anticipation. So anything you can praise, you know, we're, we're talking tonight about preparation for GCSEs but anything you can praise when your children get used to the fact that you look for the good and you praise them they start getting these dopamine hits almost in advance of you saying anything and you the person giving the praise gets a dopamine hit as well yeah. so it's a total win-win and um 
the 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 research shows as i don't know if you guys here have come across the gottman institute in the us they're a relationship institute they're, they're absolutely brilliant so look them up the gottman institute and um they've really looked at what makes relationships flourish and you need five positives to every negative to to kind of have a thriving relationship and research shows that most children hear about 11 negatives to every positive so um and again i always say to my clients you know you're going into a, a work appraisal and your boss says three nice things and one thing you need to improve what do you come out thinking about mm -hmm. you need to improve so a negative comments have a much bigger impact on us than positive comments so if you can get anywhere near the five positives to one negative and so almost i think it can be really helpful and i, I really believe this with teenagers is how often can you try and zip your mouth as a parent like you know you 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 see the towel on the floor and instead of kind of saying look i've told you five times you hang a towel up you know do you think it's going to get onto the towel rail by magic you know what do you think is going to happen where's the towel fairy today i can't find the towel fairy were you two talking behind my back before we went live <laughs> so 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 in that situation of course, my brain thinks, oh, towel's on the floor again for the 50,000th time. And then what I do is I use a really neutral tone of voice. And I'll call, I'll say I'll call my daughter, um, and my second daughter called Honor, and I'll say, Honor, can you just come here a second? I say it in a really neutral voice, no judgment. And because she hears lots of praise, so we have a nice, good relationship. Um, she will come up. And again, very neutrally, I just say, oh, Honor, what's going on here? And she'll say, oh, mum, the towel's on the floor. And I'll say, where should it be? She'll say, on the towel rail. And she'll bend down and she'll pick it up. And what I know is that each time she does that, it wires the habit into her brain. Whereas each time I just say nothing, and I pick up the towel rail. My, my my towel hanging's pretty good. Like my wiring is in for towel, so I don't need to do it anymore. It's all that's already fixed in my brain. But of course, I picked it up and I felt angry, and probably my negative mood has gone downstairs with me. Whereas by using a neutral voice and asking Honor to come and do it, and then once she's done it, say thanks, Honor. It's really helpful of you to come up when I called and put your towel up. I appreciate it. I get the dopamine hit she gets the dopamine hit and she gets that wiring of repeating a positive habit in her brain. So um, does it take a little bit more time? Yes, because I could have hung it up in about five seconds and it probably took two minutes for her to come up, have the conversation, hang it up. But I feel like I'm investing, I'm investing that time in training her in good habits. Mm -hmm. So, So that's another thing that uh, parents can try you know and and the thing is that if you if your ch teenager is used to the fact that every time you call them it's to tell them off mm. they probably wouldn't come up the stairs but if a lot of the time your mouth is sh shut not too negative um they and they hear lots of positives from you then they're much more likely to respond when you ask them to come and do something whether it's hang the towel or empty the dishwasher or give your hand with the cooking so uh, uh, that's another tip that parents can yeah. try. I think it's something I definitely need to keep hearing on a probably more regular basis because, you know, as you were talking earlier, I was thinking, well, if I go up to my daughter's room, how do I uh, you know, praise the fact there is one square metre of carpet visible? That, you know, it's a because bit of a... You can see the floor. It's I know, progress. And your carpet looks beautiful, the bit that I can see, Ellie, is praise. But so I think with the... Um, a discussion you just had or you talked yeah. about with your daughter that's that's pretty quite helpful actually to to, to you know um i don't know phrase it somehow yeah. yeah it's a good habit to get into absolutely the the more praise than negatives it's always really easy mm. to nitpick but it's not easy to appreciate all the little 
the little things. So I hugely appreciate, we're gonna, we can test this out now, live testing. I really appreciate that you know how useless I am in the morning until I've had coffee. So you make me a coffee every morning so that I can function as a human being. And I appreciate that immensely. With, with, with you know, frothy stuff on top and see? See, dopamine, yeah, yeah. Oh, smile everywhere. It's all good. Excellent. <laughs> and and sometimes, you know, your comment about your daughter with everything all over her floor, you know, sometimes you might have to praise something else, you know, or I can see you're really engrossed in the book you're reading or my gosh, you know, I can see you've got all your clothes out so you can put a kind of uh, a, a stylish outfit together. And um, sometimes I think as well that um, children, lots of children find transitions quite difficult. And um, when our children are babies, we do the transitions for them. You know, we put their clothes on, we change the nappy. And then it's almost that once our children get to uh, about three or four, we just assume that they can easily do transitions because now they talk and they walk. So, so hey, if I'm an adult, I can do transitions. They should be able to do transitions. But transitions are hard for a long time. And particularly because children are motivated, you know, their basic drivers, their basic motivations in life are um, feeling secure. So your attention, primary caregiver's attention, um, having fun, pleasure, uh, curiosity. So learning about things, um, not schoolwork, by the way, that doesn't fit the bill. But, you know, what happens if I put a, a fork into a plug socket, you know, or, um, you know, what happens if I take a pen and I put it on the wall? That kind of curious. And um, and once you get to teenagers, tweens and teenagers, it's um, the peer group. So being in with the peer group. So they're the key motivators. So, again, with schoolwork, I say to my clients, you know, my clients will say, why doesn't my child want to get on with their homework? Or why don't they want to have a tutor session? And I'll say, right, homework, they've been at school all day. They've already done quite a lot of work. Um, let's see which of those base instincts does homework fall into? Um, your attention, pleasure, curiosity or peers? Oh, none of them. So lots of children don't have much internal motivation for schoolwork. Now, you know, when you're getting more to the age of 15 and 16, it, it, it often is getting better. It is. Often they are getting some quite reasonable internal motivation. But sometimes as parents, we can just help support them and we support them in a transition. And it might be as much as saying, um, I know you want to do your biology revision today. How can I help in any way? And would it help if I ask you some questions? Um, or um, uh, would it help if I set the timer for 20 minutes and I came up and bought you a biscuit? So, so sometimes, you know, it's very hard for a uh, a child to start something and if we can support them in the transition to make that change to sit down and start something often they're away they're off they can do it they just can't make the first step yep. so so uh, my 15 year old her she shares a bedroom with her older sister but her side is often can't see the floor and so sometimes you know I will say honor shall I come and help you would it help if I start making your bed if you start putting your clothes away. And invariably, I don't have to stay there for the whole time because after, as soon as she gets going, she'll say, mum, I've got this. I don't need any help now, you know, off you go. But she just couldn't quite take the first step. And again, if we get angry with them, come on, why didn't you get going? Why didn't you make your bed? Why didn't you get your books out? Then again, you, you know, you as the parent are getting anxious and angry and that ups the emotional temperature in the house. And then your child is like, get off my back. Look, I said I'll do it. Like, who cares? And then they're absolutely not in a good frame of mind to actually get it done. So, again, rather than nag, I would say, is there a way you can support? Yes. Um, and that's yeah. another tip to try. 
just uh, something that occurs to me with the uh, for the year 11s who are about to take exams or whatever they're called um motivation is lacking for some people and this is something we've heard from members yeah. where they don't see the point because they think the grades are kind of pretty much predetermined because nobody really knows exactly how the grades are going to be um created this year and that is a familiar oh, i don't see the point might sound like a bit of a teenage thing but is it just back to create to I don't know, uh, praising the tiny bit of effort they do, same as you said earlier. Um, there is a point to it. We know there's a point to it, but that's because we have the rational brains that are, in theory, properly developed. Yeah, absolutely. It is the praise. And and I would use a, another skill that I teach is something called emotion coaching. So um, because our prefrontal cortex is is pretty strong, when our children struggle, we often go into being really rational. So they'll say, oh, I don't want to do it. What's the point? I mean, it doesn't mean anything this year. And we'll we'll go straight into fix it mode using our rational brain. We will say, no, there is a point because actually those grades will still be looked at by universities. And, you know, when you go for your first job interview, they'll look at those grades. And we've gone straight into <coughs> fix it mode. But when a child is feeling emotional, when they're feeling despondent, when they're feeling um, anxious, when they're feeling angry or upset, when um, adults use logic with them, they feel really disconnected from the adult. They really feel like, you don't get me. You don't know what I'm going through. And, and you know, you just, all you do is advice, advice. So half the time, the first step has to be I can understand that it's really frustrating this year, that it's not clear how the system's going to work and it's not clear if it's going to be fair or not. And I can see that feels really difficult for you. So it's it's getting in with some empathy. And again, I, I feel like as grown-ups, we're we're pretty good at empathy with our friends. So, you know, if you're if your girlfriend calls you and she says, you know, I've, I've had a bad day and I've broken my new boots and I've got a parking ticket. You know, we don't say, well, this is how you should mend your shoe. And should you write and tell the parking people the ticket wasn't fair? We don't. We tend to say, gosh, sounds to me like you've had a bad day. You deserve a glass of wine. And we go, oh, and we feel much better. But somehow, again, I think we feel we don't feel so capable of doing that with our children and with our teens it's almost like we're so busy wanting to fix it that we miss the empathy step so you know, every time you get your sense that your child is feeling emotional in any way connect with the emotion first seems to me that you are really angry that you now have exams at the beginning of may and at the end of May, and that feels really unfair because you really, if it was a normal year, you would just have one set of exams. I can see that's really frustrating. And and mm. basically, I always think of emotion as a wave. So your child's um, a wave of emotion goes up, 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 up. You know, they kind of get angrier and angrier and angrier. And so um, it takes a while for waves to come down. So... If you want to bring a wave down, you know, if if you deny their feeling, look, pull yourself together. I don't know why you're making a fuss. Everybody else is in the same boat. Nobody else has, you know, everyone else has got to sit two sets of exams. So, you know, stop making a fuss. Then all we've done to that child's emotional wave is make it bigger. Or if we get involved saying, look, this is what you need to do. This is what you've got to get on with in the next few weeks. I, I, I've prepared a revision plan for you. <laughs> then that makes the emotion wave bigger. So actually, we've got to get in there with the empathy saying, again, it's so frustrating and kind of match their energy level. So if they're really angry, you can't really say, oh, that's really frustrating. You have to say, boy, that's frustrating. And then I would say expect to reflect back their feeling anywhere between three to five times. And the brilliant thing is you don't have to fix it. It's not your job to fix it. 
your job is just to bring, it's basically just to re-regulate their emotional brain and their thinking brain. So you say, boy, that's frustrating. I can see you're annoyed. And then your child goes, yeah, cause what's the point, right? And you say, I understand. I totally get it. It's hard enough revising once, let alone for two exams. Yeah, I mean, do you know, mum, I am going to have to sit exams for four days in May and then do them all again at the end of May. I can see that is frustrating. It is. And what's for dinner, by the way? Because can you, can you get that sense of how you come down? But if you go in too quickly with advice or denial or um, pull yourself together comments, their emotional wave gets bigger and bigger. And um, one thing, I'm, I'm sure uh, you know this, but when your body is full of emotion, you literally can't engage your thinking brain. So an emotional child cannot open their books to study. Um, you know, forget it, because there is no space in their brain to concentrate on laying down learning, you know. So kind of helping children self-regulate is is a really key step that we, that's what a really key step for us to support our children with. Mm. So that was something I think we were going to ask about. We've we've talked before with with another guest about the whole uh, parasympathetic nervous system and resetting that stress response because when your body gets stressed and overly emotional, you're releasing that flood of cortisol and everything and adrenaline and everything's just and and everything goes fight or flight in your brain and everything else or all of the other resources divert to that bit. And so the designated driver thinking part at the front is uh, is stuck outside with the door locked and so we've talked about strategies practical strategies that people can use just to help reset their body so if there's anything that you have any techniques that parents could try out for example that'd be brilliant absolutely so um so here's a here's a few top tips so some really base ones keeping your body keeping your brain regulated between your um, limbic system and your prefrontal cortex um, there's some baseline things that make a big difference sleep good eating habits and exercise so as your children get closer and closer to exams really really try not to let them cram yeah no late night cramming because if they stay up late and they don't get the sleep they need, um, they will find it really hard to regulate their brain. Um, when your children are doing revision, make sure they have plenty of time to go on a walk or, you know, you might have a trampoline in your garden. Go on the trampoline, go on their skateboard, but physical exercise. And, you know, I'm sure you know, there's a lot of conversations around digital use with online schooling, etc. But try not to let your children just go from doing revision to playing an online digital game to going back to revision. Um, um, so they're kind of baseline things. Um, you can really help your children through making sure they've got good breathing techniques. And I don't know if you covered this with the other guest, but... Um, all my kids have been taught and all my clients, I ask them to teach their kids to breathe. And it's super straightforward. It's just big breath in through your nose. So your tummy pops out and then hold for a count of two and blow out through your mouth for a count of six. So if you do those five big breaths, you will help regulate your body. So as you walk towards the exam hall, it is absolutely normal that you will have butterflies in your stomach, that you've released adrenaline and cortisol. So um, knowing though that you can control it through your breath can be a really great thing. Now, I would say again, um, when you go into an exam, you want to feel some butterflies in your stomach. You don't want to feel like totally relaxed, like I could be on a beach, because that won't get the best. And if you talk to any you know, top athletes, they all feel the butterflies in the tummy, but they read it as being something useful and powerful, not as something really negative, even though physically it feels uncomfortable. So they can take the uncomfortable feeling and say there's something positive. Um, 
The other thing that can be really helpful in the moment before you get into an exam, um, your strongest sense is your smell sense. So I would say if there's a smell you really like, it might be your mum's perfume, it might be your dad's aftershave, it might be the fact your mum puts lavender on your pillow, I don't know. You know. Any smell that you feel you like, put on a tissue, put in your pocket. And then, of course, you can look like you're blowing your nose and that smell, that soothing smell will relax you. Um, another one which sounds really uh, simple is um, touch is very powerful. So if, again, you're feeling anxious and you're walking towards an exam, run your fingers like this. And, and it, when I do it now, it feels a bit odd to be honest, but when you're stressed, just that touch is very effective. Um, if you've got a child, because I'm just giving you some tips for in the moment, but if any of your listeners have children who are generally anxious, so not just it's not just the half an hour before the exam, but you feel that their anxiety is really detrimental to their life in terms of they can't even open a book to revise because they feel anxious. You know, they're saying for months, I'm going to fail. I'll never be able to do A-levels. I'll never get a job. I'm a loser then you have to do a little bit more work than, than than just what I'm telling you. And so when I have clients with children who are just a bit more anxious, I get them to do some cognitive work well in advance of the exams. And it has to be done when their child is calm. And I get them to get a piece of paper and um just talk to their children talk to their children about the fact that your brain plays tricks on you, yeah. Your emotional brain plays tricks on your cognitive brain. And it does that by, um, by because feelings are so strong, you think that because they're strong, they must be right. But actually, feelings are not always right. So you can do a facts versus feelings. So a fact, I might have a feeling I'm going to fail. But the fact is, I've got good marks in my test results. I might have a feeling that, um, you know, I'm going to open the exam paper and I won't be able to do any of it. The fact is I've done lots of practice papers and every one of those practice papers my brain could concentrate on. So you literally write down on a piece of paper feelings, facts. And then the other thing that the brain does is it does this probability thing. And you know how often you don't like getting on an aeroplane and I say to people why don't you want to get on an aeroplane who doesn't like getting on an aeroplane and you know always in my classes a number of people will say I don't like aeroplanes and I'll, I'll say why and I'll say because I'm it might crash and I'll die and then I we talk about how the brain doesn't get probabilities right because it's much more dangerous getting in a car for a hundred mile journey than getting on an aeroplane so your brain looks at outcome without attaching the right probability to it. Hmm. So after you've done the facts versus feelings, then you do a probability. So um, I will completely fail. What is the probability of that? Oh, actually, it's pretty low. Actually, the probability I'll fail every exam? Oh, you know, it's less than 1%. And again, I go through each of the things and we do a, we put a probability. And that enables you to see, okay, the out, that outcome I'm worrying about is is a very negative outcome, but the probability of it happening is really, really low. And then the third thing that you do is you do a what ifs, a, a, a what if, what else? So you walk through probabilities. So what if I fail all my exams? Uh, well, what else could happen? Well, I could resit them or, um, you know, or actually as long as I get some of them, that will be good enough. So. So you do this, um, um, what, if, what if to what else? So at the end of this exercise, it takes about 30 minutes. Your child has a piece of paper with it all written out on. And um, then when your child says to you, you know, oh, I feel terrible. Oh, I'm, I'm you know, I'm having a hard time. I'll say, is it your, is it your smart brain or is it your worry brain? And, um, you know, some of my kids I've done this work with and they'll say, oh, it, it's the worry brain. 
And then you can talk to your worry brain and say, back in your box, worry brain, I'm not listening to you, you know, and then you get your piece of paper out and you open it and there's all the work you've got written down. And this is why you have to make the time to write it down. And then that piece of paper might come out 10 times before the exam. But, and is it perfect? Does your child say, oh, great, oh, I don't feel worried at all. No, but th these are all, they're all support mechanisms for your child. Like I've got my piece of paper, I can tell my worry brain to go away. I can start my breathing. I can, I've got a, a handkerchief I can smell. And knowing that a child, knowing that they have all these tools to help, just stops their anxiety going through the roof. So um, what is super not helpful is when parents say, you're fine. There's nothing worry to, to worry about. It's all going to go really well. Look, just don't worry. Because, again, that's your logical brain talking to your child's emotional brain. And you haven't calmed your child in any way. All your child thinks is, you don't get me. You mm. don't understand what I'm going through. It's, so it's again that you talked yeah. about earlier, the fluff. It doesn't. There's nothing really attached to those words. It's a, a platitude almost. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that everything you've talked about isn't just applicable for children as well. I, I'm kind of hearing things on the list. I'm thinking, oh, sometimes I do get a bit worried about such and such. Maybe I should do a list and and work my way through the thing. And I know we have parents who have recently confessed to counting to a hundred several times a day because. They, they're clashing with their child and they're finding that they're getting really stressed and those breathing mm. exercises could make a huge difference because it's it kind of it bypasses mm. the ability to reason with your brain it just resets mm. your body physiologically speaking which is yeah. a big deal but also the positives if you sort of start mm. that cycle off and you know I, i'm sitting there thinking to myself i should probably listen to this on a loop every month or so just because <laughs> you know i i I do occasionally um, maybe moan about my daughter's bedroom and, you know, she's generally fantastic, but it is the thing that kind of bugs, just you. bugs me a little bit. And, yeah. and, and I do go with the negatives and, and I can see how it's not helpful. So, you know, I think a, a constant reminder just until I get into a habit is, I mean, yeah, well, that's it's, the thing it's, thing, it's building habits, isn't it? It's the same as with good revision. If it's a habit, it's a lot easier for children to do because it's just the thing that I do at this time of day rather than it being a thing I have to actually think about and make myself do. And the the start, the five-minute win we talk about as well, if you get them to start even just for five minutes, as you said, it's it's normally like the, the snowball that starts off the, the avalanche – I liken it to the giant pile of ironing that's taller than you are. And you you can leave that in the corner for a few weeks until it becomes absolutely urgent. And you're at the point where you're going to have to wear pajamas to work otherwise before you're willing to start. But once you do start, you'll pr pretty much get through all of it because you've started. But it's so easy to put off. And uh, that's how our kids feel about revision, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, I yeah absolutely and i i mean i was always laugh i always say i do the job that i do just to keep all of the skills in mind because you know you know i just really want to reiterate to anyone listening to this um you know we parent the way we parent not because we don't have the very best intentions for our children but often it is how we were parented i mean you know i, I had lovely parents but there wasn't a very little chat about emotions when i grew up you know, they might ask, is your basket packed for cookery or have you got your school books done or can I help with your homework? But they wouldn't say, gosh, you look like you're having a bad day. You know, you know, are you anxious about something? Are you sad about something? Um, and and I think, you, you know, this looking for the negative, it's very wired into our brain because, you know, we, we haven't always been top of the food chain. So historically you know if you came out of a cave which was only probably ten thousand years ago actually um when we were all hunter gatherers and you looked for the good first and you said oh look at the blue sky smell the roses hear the babble of the brook <laughs> something had eaten you that yellow shape in the bush you hadn't noticed just had you for for lunch so um our brains are really wired 
to be threat detectors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 10,000 years ago, the threat was a wild animal. It was a poisonous plant. It was anything bigger that could physically harm us or stop us reproducing or kill us. And that's man-eating towels on the floor. Yeah, and man-eating towels, homework that's not been done, you know, complaints about the food you've provided. And, and as far as our brain is concerned, you know, that's the threat that it's looking for. Um, and um, a lot of it depends on what kind of expectations you have of your children. And there is definitely generational amnesia. It is, is proven, okay? So, you know, you probably remember that when you were a child, you always hung up the towel. But, you know, if you could rewind, <laughs> that was almost definitely well, didn't. I've never heard of that, generational <laughs> amnesia. Yeah. So, 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 um, you know, I, I often think it's about being realistic with our expectations for our children. You know, it's a bit like sleep, isn't it? Our teenagers' brains, they're really designed to go to bed at 11 and wake up at about 8. And... So they're not wrong to not want to go to bed, but how do we support them? You know, getting, helping them get into a good routine, making sure they don't have their phones in their bedroom at night because if their phones bing, they won't sleep. Um, you know, all those kind of things that you do to support them going to bed on time, but they're not wrong for wanting to stay up late because that's their, their, their melatonin in their brain. So, um, you know, I, I, I like I, I kind of have this view that children are 24 years of mistake after mistake after mistake. And if you have that expectation, it's it doesn't mean you're completely permissive and you go, oh, well, it doesn't matter. But it just keeps you a bit calmer when you see the towel on the floor. You hear them moaning. You um, um, you, you see the messy bedroom or the homework that's not done. It just thinking, actually, that's normal. And what can I do to support building a, a better habit enables you just to stay a little bit calmer. And if you can stay calmer, you can find a bit of praise or you can find a bit of fun. Because actually, when you talk about neurochemicals in the brain, releasing serotonin or uh, oxytocin or dopamine, all the good neurochemicals that make you more motivated and make you feel good um, a lot of those come from laughter they come from physical touch so um and so you know if you can come up with a funny comment or i don't know you know even do a funny dance i mean my my children think that i'm i'm kind of slightly um odd oh, that's, that's mind you. <laughs> But but they laugh, you know, they're funny. Mummy's got all these funny sayings and they all laugh, not in a nasty way, just in a family humour way. And of course, as soon as they laugh, they're much more likely to try to be engaged, to feel connected with you. But of course, if you don't have realistic expectations for teenage behaviour, you just are feeling angry and cross and disappointed and resentful and let down all the time and and if that's how you feel as an adult there isn't it's really hard to find some fun it's really hard to find some praise so um there's a really good book called by um don't know if you come across a tanith carry and it's called what's my teenager thinking and um what she does is she she breaks down pretty much every piece of teenager behavior you've ever seen and kind of explains what's going on in the teenager's brain, explains what's going on in your brain as the parent listening to what the teenager is saying and then kind of decodes it. So so that's a really nice book. And um, there's another really good teenager book by Bettina Honan. So the incredible teenage brain. Um, and I, I always say, um, I always recommend to parents, you know, what I, what I find is a lot of people come to me and they, they come to us and we do parenting courses when their children are anywhere between two and, you know, kind of seven or eight. And then they often come back when their children are somewhere between 11 and 13 because 
the brain changes that have taken place means that they're dealing with something quite different. And back to what you say, knowledge is knowledge is power. Knowledge snagging, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So 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 I think if you learn about what's kind of normal it just stops you being uber anxious as a parent that you've got this kind of what's this child i mean how are they ever going to be an adult in life if this is how they behave at 14 whereas actually it's really normal for a 14 year old to be like that so yeah, yeah i think we we hear from people a lot it feels like they're doing something wrong as a parent i think that's what you worry isn't it you you worry that you've not done a good enough job as a parent if your child can't cope with whatever the situation is but you need to just big picture, take your deep breaths and remember that it is indeed completely normal and uh, it will pass. Yeah, they will come back down to earth eventually. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and temperament is a big deal. You know, do you have an introvert? Do you have an extrovert? Do you have a persistent? Do you have a a child that's um, good at transitions who's not good at transitions? And a lot of things in life is about accepting the child you've got and then using these skills of empathy and praise and good ways of giving instructions and thinking about how to support your child and how to handle positively mistakes and then you'll get the best you can get out of the child you've got and they'll feel really connected to you and you'll have a really great relationship and um you know, there's all the research about secure attachment. If you have a really good secure attachment with your child, it's their internal pot of gold, you know, and it's their launch pad. So actually the most important thing with a child is their relationship with you as the primary caregiver. And I was giving a uh, workshop the other day on, um, and it was on anxiety and a lady stayed behind afterwards and she'd got a really sensitive child and if you've got a really sensitive child you know smells overwhelm them sounds overwhelms them the scratchy labels overwhelm them and of course school is really challenging for high sensory children you know it's a nightmare everything's too loud too bright smells too much and um she had got this eight-year-old boy who's really sensitive and she said I keep telling him, stop being sensitive. And it was a revelation to her when I said, he is who he is, he is sensitive. So try hard to praise him for, you know, gosh, you smell so well, you're a super smeller, or, you know, you're gonna be really in tune with your environment because you feel everything so clearly. But, you know, telling a sensitive child to stop being sensitive, it's like a double negative. The child's already struggling with sensitivity. And now you're telling him he's wrong for being sensitive and he should be able to do something about it. So a lot of, um, we make ourselves more effective as parents when we where we really get to know the children we've got and accept it and look for all the best points instead of thinking that, by nagging or criticizing or blaming or comparing, we can turn them into something else. Um, I don't think we can, but they just don't feel so good about themselves and they don't feel so good about their relationship with us. So, um, you know, and to me, obviously with a 16 year old, I, you know, I wish her the best for her GCSEs in whatever form they are. And she is definitely working pretty hard taking exercise, sleeping, but, you know, it's just one step in a much longer, broader road. And, you know, we don't want to destroy our relationship with our children as a, as a, as a result of it. So, um, you know, that, that would be my advice. And, but also if you look for the good and you use a bit of praise, you know, it works really, really well. So. I think that is probably the perfect point to, to, to finish i mean if there are any other questions anyone listening to the live please now is the time to to shout very loudly do you want to just Indeed. click through any of the comments um, and, but uh, yes the yeah. hour has flown by we had um back when we were talking about mindset and commented that classroom dojo on youtube for younger children has some great clips uh, talking about that kind of stuff as well and uh, when we were talking about carol dweck's uh, rsa 
uh, thing. Um, Classroom Dojo is something that they've probably most of them have used at primary school at some stage anyway in terms of behaviour. So, yeah, it's um, I think there's been a lot to take in. I know I've certainly got a few things where it's clicked in my brain and I thought, oh, yeah, mm. I should probably try a different approach with that one. Mm. So, uh, um, Pamela, yes, this can be watched again. So if you're uh, listening to this now, then you know that because you're on the podcast and you're having a listen. If you'd rather watch, then this lives on our Facebook pages. So it's currently live on Parent Guide to GCSE and Parent Guide to Post 16 pages. So you can come back and watch these anytime you like. Um, you can make notes. You can decide which time bits you like. You do whatever you mm. want, but it will appear on the podcast at some stage yeah. as well. And in the podcast, the show notes will have um, the references to the various books. Yes. And, um, and anything else that needs to go on there. Indeed. Yeah. And if, and if um, you know, the parent team, we have a Instagram page every day we put up helpful tips helpful reminders um our website has quite a lot of information on it and we send out a a, a newsletter every two weeks and it will have a topical blog blog <laughs> have a topical <laughs> blog and uh, ask us anything so someone will ask a question about digital use or whatever and we'll we'll answer it so uh, there's lots of uh resources and support on the 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 parent team website as well so um that's wonderful thank you yeah. i think there's probably so much more we could talk about but we're going to cut it short at that point and then i think probably invite you back another mm. time to catch up on the rest uh, pamela will um uh, find the names of the books and pop them in the comments um after after we finish so and give us 10 minutes or so show notes for those of you listening so yes and uh thank you ever so much for giving up your time this evening with us it's been amazingly helpful i think there have been a lot of nuggets and mm. um, if you're if you're watching on facebook and you want to drop in a sort of hashtag nugget with the thing that's jumped out at you the most i think that would be a really useful kind of set of hints for other people as, as they watch through and listen through as well so do feel free to drop that in and uh, lots of people saying thank you so indeed and it has been a delight mm. talking with all of you as always and uh, have a lovely rest of your evening Jenny, thank you very much. Massive, thank you. It's a pleasure and good luck to everybody and their children with their GCSEs.